Welcome, Comedy Sound listeners. You are with our This Is Your Life Dental Hour, and we've got someone a little bit extraordinary, as usual. Um, someone that's um, born the 30th of May, 58, a Gemini, a working class person from Cumbria, a council house kid, a skinny girl, oh, a skinny person, I was thinking of sex girl, excelled at sport and academia. She was a voice for her own household, quite a strong voice. Strong in opinion, a good orator, and jaws that defy normal medical science. I think there's only one person meeting that one is Kath Temple. Hi, Kath. Good morning, IQ. Or you, you, as I call you. <laughs> what a privilege to be here with you and your friends. And uh, I'm looking forward to the next hour. I think it's going to be a busy hour, so I won't talk too much because I know um, that's going to be the quality of others today. So, now, now, first of all, Gemini. Gemini. I looked at this with some interest, and you just ticked all the boxes. <laughs> adaptable. Yeah, typical Gemini, do you? A typical you Gemini, are. I think. Yeah, adaptable, outgoing, sensible, intelligent, I question mark, but it says sociable and fun. Nosy and big gob was a must. I'll put that one in there. Um, but yeah, quick, quick summary on your, your traits as you see it, um, Kath. I want and you think you tick the boxes as a typical Gemini? I think I tick all the boxes as a Gemini, really, Hugh. Yeah. An interest in a lot of things, a broad range of interests, a communicator, a messenger, um, pretty outgoing, friendly, and definitely Captain Sensible. <laughs> Most of my life, Captain Sensible, with a rebellious streak, too, and, um, and a, a love of freedom. You're an adventurer, too. You do not have been a bit spontaneous i i enjoy, absolutely love spontaneity easily bored so yeah loves a bit of spontaneity um and i love people who think with free minds free range humans <laughs> uh, okay my, my job is to take the first session which is talking you through your school years and i know you've had some eventful times a loving family in grand station as you call it uh, pining to do pa- ballet, but I think your mum and dad knew better than that whether they could afford it. That was one thing, but as you grew to, to, to a height of five foot six, I don't think you were made for ballet. Um, but a voice, a voice for the family, and you, you, you just inspired others, I think, and you, you received love and you gave love in your community. I'm sure you'll talk about that. And champion, you became a champion sports person. You, you became not just an ordinary sports person, you were a leader in what you did, whether that was sprinting whether it's tennis or netball you've got a history of achievement um without trying it seemed carefully without trying even taking you through those uh, primary school years before you went to grammar school maybe you can touch on those before we go on to your love affairs and your fight 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 so tell us a bit of I love affairs. There's a thing. Well, I I feel enormously blessed because I have had a good family. Um, My dad, Jack Black, was a plasterer. He was funny, a raconteur, a storyteller, um, great wit. My mom could kill you with a one-liner as well. Very warm and loving, my mama. 
And our house was like Grand Central Station. My dad was one of four children, my mum one of seven, and all of the family, both sides of the family, would come around our house. So it was continually full in our childhood and a lot of laughter in that room, um, a lot of smoke as well. I think everybody that came smoked. Dear God, I could hardly see my father amongst the smoke at the other end of the room. But they were all really good, good people. And, and an incredibly secure childhood. My Auntie Aggie lived four doors away. Um, Auntie Aggie and Uncle Leslie, who I loved, and our Andrew, uh, my cousin. Around the other corner lived our Pat, another corner, Uncle Ike, um, another corner, Auntie Pauline, over the bridge, Auntie Irene, up at Hensingham and Richmond, Auntie Kathleen and Auntie Mary, Auntie Mary Baxter, another Auntie Mary who lived with uh, Uncle Harry and all my cousins there. Lots, and my lovely Auntie Teresa, who lived with us when I was born with Uncle Jared, and then they rented a farmhouse and many weekends spent at Toddy's farm um, growing up and many weekends spent at Auntie Irene's with our Elizabeth, who was two years older than me, whose hand-me-downs I got. I was second-hand rose. Our Elizabeth had some gorgeous clothes, so I was very blessed, really. Was, uh, a, a lovely Kathleen. Say it again. Kathy. Auntie Kath, was that the net where you got the name from? Was it your well, it was a, well, I'm a Catherine and my it was Auntie Kathleen. My Auntie oh, Kathleen, yeah. people tell me, was the prettiest girl in our town. Auntie Kathleen looked like Marilyn Monroe, but with dark hair. My my mum's family were all dark, dark hair, dark eyes, um, very Spanish looking um, or Italian looking. Um, absolutely lovely. Um, my dad was um, auburn hair, uh, and when he got older, um, I'm saying older, he died at 56, God bless him, but his hair was, um, it, it had grey in it, and it looked blonde, very thick head of hair, very rubber Redfordy hair, gorgeous. Um, so a, a very blessed childhood. Um, I think I've shared with you before, Hugh, we were, we were poor. <laughs> Auntie Irene would often look after us when my dad came out of work, the building trade, notoriously fickle, and the first to suffer in recession very often. Um, but we all looked after each other. It was a very collectivist family and actually a collectivist community. Um, a really nice, we had, we had um, ambition. We had um, uh, inspiration at home. We had lots of laughter in our house as well. And my mom and dad encouraged us with education. My Auntie Aggie would buy me lots of books. I had, um, she would buy me all Dickens's books and various classics. Um, and my godmother, Hazel, um, who became a deputy head teacher. She might have even become a head teacher, actually, of primary schools. Our Hazel was took an interest in my education as well. And I remember doing poetry recitals for her. She must have been bored witless. Um, but I, I used to rehearse poetry uh, when she used to come back um, uh, home from Leicester, where she lived. So, yeah, a, a lovely family. Um, yes. and my, fa my favourite holiday, Hugh, was in a caravan at Braystones Beach. And the whole of our family went to Braystones Beach when I was 11, hiring all the caravans on the site. My uh, cousin Linda and Norman had gotten married. And, I mean, that would be most odd. When I look back, I'm going, fancy having all your family come on your honeymoon. But we did. We all hired a caravan and we all shared their honeymoon on Braystones Beach. And, oh, my God, what a laugh 
stuff we would have. My dad and some of the cousins would make a, um, a fire on the beach and we would all sit round. My father, often in the middle of that circle, just behind the fire, telling stories that would have us howling and laughing. And I used to share that with my daughters. And maybe about four years ago, I found an old pol Polaroid snap, one of those from a Polaroid camera that comes out immediately. And it was of my dad in front of the campfire at Braystones Beach. And the family, must have been 30 of us, gathered around in a circle. It was lovely to see everybody's young faces. I was sharing to the children, just in case I'm making it, you think I'm making legends of people. Come and have a look at this. So it's, it's um, blue tacked to my office wall. Um, but lovely memories of childhood, lovely memories. You're an entertainer and you're definitely of a... Um a great writer. I know when Joe's um, shared time with you off air, he says he looks forward to that time, especially because if it was entertained with you on a one-to-one between the We always have a giggle. Yeah, me and our Joe always have a giggle. Joe Engel, lovely Joe Engel. And we put the world to rights <laughs> as well. <laughs> and you had, a, you had two siblings as well, didn't you? Uh, two younger siblings. I have a beautiful sister, Anne, who was, I was born in 1958. My sister was born in 1960. And my lovely younger brother, John, was born in 1964. He was the baby. And, um, and I would have had an older sister. My mum had a stillbirth um, three years before I was born. So I was a much waited for one, a much waited for one. And my brother nearly died in the same way as my older sister did. But his life was saved yeah there's another story for later on as well because there's a sad ending to john's life as well but, um, uh, but, yeah tell, tell us now entertainers about that scrap when you they got into a scrap how, how it changed the life of the your opponent <laughs> i think it, and those sequence of boyfriends and those first kisses those oh. three boys there let's see yeah well, let me give mention as well, Al Hugh, to some of my... I, I had wonderful teachers in my childhood, and not everyone does. It was about that period of your life. Well, in my in my primary school, um, it was a Catholic school and there were nuns running the schools in those days. But I have to say they were good nuns. Um, and my the head teacher of the school was Sister Rose. I always felt she loved me. Um, I always felt that she loved everybody. Um, uh, she was a very kind person. When my dad did a little job, building job for the school in the canteen, one Sunday he took me and my sister and brother in with him. And Sister Rose was there sewing Holy Communion dresses for the children whose parents couldn't afford it so they did teach us good values and they were kind she was certainly a kind person and my first teacher Miss Ryder and Miss O'Hare I adored um, the other two were horrible Miss Scott absolutely vile should never have been go to the scrap cat say it again give us a scrap and the love affair at 11 I want to know more about that then I can push on and, and pass over because a lot of people went to talk to you okay um, I want to hear the, about um, that scrap and the <laughs> when when I was um, 11, so I was just in um, the top year of school, the top year of the junior school, um, there was a gang called the Jenny Boyle Gang, and they were horrible. And I hate injustice with a passion, always hated injustice with a passion. And um, they, they um, said, could they borrow my Powerball? Now, that might not sound like a big thing, but that Powerball was definitely about three shillings. I mean, they're next to nothing now. And so that was three weeks pocket money. So they never gave it to me back. So I bravely, they were older than me. I bravely asked them for my Powerball back. 
Oh, and that was the start of the bullying because I never got it back, let me tell you. And um, one day in the top playground, um, there was about six or seven toilets and I came out of one of them and the Jenny Boyle gang were lined up by the sinks. It was like some old B movie. And they said, if I didn't fight Pauline Lofthouse, they were all going to jump me. Well, I'm not daft. So I thought, well, it's easier to fight one than them all. But I was terrified, um, but tried not to show it. I puffed myself up to my full height and I was tall then. I was five foot six. I've never grown. I've only shrunk. And um, and we went out to the top playground. And I remember having a little mini skirt on, a school skirt, and a little beautiful mini jacket, uh, like a coat on, like a beige one. And I took it off with pride and gave it to James Redmond from Whitehaven, from our town, and said to him, James, hold my coat. And Pauline Lofthouse swore. And we didn't swear. Um, and I was just appalled at the language she was using. I swear plenty now, by the way. Um, and she said about there being rules for fighting. And I'm thinking naively because I'd never had a fight in my life. Oh, my God, there's rules for fighting in the school playground. I didn't know that. And she said not to scratch, pull hair or kick. And the first thing she did was grab hold of my very long blonde hair, um, kick my shins and scratch my face. Well, I'll tell you what, fear and adrenaline are a very good combination in such a situation because I battered her all the way around that playground. I was so incensed at her breaking her own rules. So that I, I then knew I could fight. And then Sister Mary Jude, who was not a nice nun, flapped up that playground like Batman's sidekick <laughs> and said, Catherine! And I thought, oh, she thinks I've started it. And I, I only had to fight because they were going to jump me. So I ran two miles home and my dad was obviously on the dole, I think, at that time because he was at home and he would have normally been at work. And he was putting together a little nine pounds, 99 uh, pence or nine pounds, 19 shillings um, uh, yeah, <laughs> tape recorder for my Christmas present. And when Sister Mary Jude arrived in her car, she got short shrift from my father. But my dad put me in um, martial arts and so I learned karate from a young age and I learned in a way how not to fight and how to send out different signals to people. And it gave me, um, well, a real introduction to philosophy, the philosophy of the martial arts. And I loved it. I was also a very good student because <laughs> I had a crush on the karate teacher, Ronnie Walsh. Loved our Ronnie Walsh. Gorgeous. Uh, Kath, we're going to have to push on quite quickly. Just very quickly, take us through a couple of minutes, just take us through those um, the senior school years and then um, I know you did quite well and you went into business studies and then I'll pass over so just a quick thing through your teenage years and then we can get on to, to listen to some of these other people waiting to I loved, I loved my teachers in my Catholic schools, um, the St. Gregory's, um, St. Beggs, um, and St. Beggs Seniors, and then St. Benedict's. And then at 13, there was no 11 plus in my day. We went to, you were either recommended or not for the grammar school. And so it was the old grammar school days, and I was recommended for the grammar. And I hated school from then on, because I found teachers who didn't care about us. And it was quite a shock to my system, because the teachers I had known, most of them, apart from a couple, genuinely cared about us. Miss Cottier and Miss Brennan, Mr. Hazard Jr. and Mr. Hazard Sr., Sister Philomena, um, uh, Teresa Chambers, who I loved, uh, gorgeous teachers, Mr. Luthwaite, our history teacher, I loved. Um, 
Mr. Simpson, our science teacher, uh, Jemima Parkinson for English, loved them all. But at the grammar school, I found quite cool, quite cold teachers who didn't really care. That's not to say they didn't know their subjects, but I recognised there was more to teaching than just loving your subject. You have to love your students. You have to care about your students. So I really didn't like grammar school at all for that reason. I didn't like the teachers, not not a single one of them, believe it or not. Um, and um, I'd been, I didn't know whether to be a psychologist at 18, whether to be a journalist at 18, um, whether to be a teacher at 18, or whether to teach karate, the martial arts, to the Metropolitan Police Force. I'd stayed with a Met police officer and his wife, who were originally from Whitehaven, um, down in Kilburn in London. And I'd worked with all of the Japanese masters from Tatsu Suzuki down, and I'd got on famously with them. In fact, I went out with one of the instructors uh, when I was just 16. I was a fourth Dan Black belt, a really nice guy, a bit Bruce Lee-ish to look at. Um, So I thought I might do that. And I ended up doing most of those things, except for the teaching, the martial arts to the Met. Um, I was accepted for a B.Ed. at St. Mary's College, Fenham in Newcastle. But in working at a factory in 1976, after finishing my A-levels, there were about 12 unemployed teachers. And I thought, my dad's been on the dole on and off all of our lives. And I do not want to be finishing a four-year degree course and to be coming on to um, be unemployed or to work in a factory where I found the work utterly soulless and wondered how people could do it. So I went back to the careers advisor at school, a bit useless, um, most careers advisors I found were and I ended up uh, swapping the course still going to Newcastle but to do business studies and when I left there um, I went into media and PR by chance rather than by good planning Um, but um, yeah so uh, I ended up working for a subsidiary of Teneco called Albright and Wilson in media and PR then I'm going to have to pass you on Kath Um, our time is limited your first piece of music and we'll have a little bit of that before we uh, go into the questions from others and I will pass over um, your first piece of music and why you chose that piece of music. My first piece of music is Love is the Answer by England Dan and John Ford Coley. And I think love is the answer. I agree with the Beatles too. All you need is love. Uh, but I love this one. I love them, the, the sound pieces on it. So everybody enjoy Love is the Answer, England Dan and John Ford Coley.
head is sound. Tune in if a change. Welcome back to Kinder Sound, where we have the gorgeous Kath Temple in our presenter seat and loving that song, loving that first introduction to your life, Kath. And, and around this sort of time, then, as you moved into the education, your work career, you got a job, I believe, at uh, good old Windscale and Sellafield, and that was pivotal in, in helping you shift and move eventually to, to Suffolk, wasn't it? Well, I, well I, I worked at Tenneco first in media and PR, Old Brighton Wilson, then Alcan set up their company newspaper at High Duty Alloys, and then went to Sellafield on the back of a bad boss, really. Uh, I had a difficult boss at High Duties. And so sometimes from bad things, good things come. And I ended up working for almost nine years at Sellafield uh, in media and PR again, thanks to Tim Knowles, who gave me a, a job there, who I'm still in touch with, a lovely guy. And um, we, you know, we we had a, a eight, nine years there working in media and PR, busy, busy, busy department. But I loved it. Met Phil, who wouldn't come online, the bugger. I've known him 40 years. Um, and But I really enjoyed working in the nuclear industry. I enjoyed the science. I enjoyed the high profile of the job. I had my own radio show there. And I worked freelance for Bob, uh, lovely Bob in Whitehaven, Radio Cumbria, office uh, and did lots of interviews, which I really enjoyed. So it's funny how life comes full circle. Here we are on the radio again, but spiraling in at a higher level. And um, yep, my hubby didn't like his job there. I had three children, two children in Cumbria, one in Suffolk. Lucy was born in 86, the day Chernobyl exploded, 26th of April. <laughs> uh, well, it didn't explode, but we nearly had a meltdown there. Um, and um, Katie born on the 25th of May in 1988. And then John, who didn't like his job much. Um, and so he put in for a job as project quality manager on Sizewell B uh, for John Langs, who were the main civil contractors. And he got it. So he moved um, shortly after I'd given birth to Katie. She was only about six weeks old when John uh, took up the job in um, in Suffolk. And we followed, we looked for, for a home now, and we got a beautiful home and moved in March 89. So I ended up on the East Coast, having been on the West Coast. And oh my God, I missed Cumbria. I missed its beautiful landscape and I missed its beautiful people. I lost a huge tribe of family there and a huge tribe of friends because when you walk down the main street, it would take you nearly a fortnight to go down Whitehaven Main Street. I'd either worked with everybody on that street from the different empires employers, or I was related to them. And I loved that. I loved being part of a tribe. Um, and Suffolk, I knew nobody. Um, and I found it very, very difficult uh, initially being down here, uh, such a flat landscape. And, um, and I didn't find the people particularly friendly. But I was very blessed because on the close that I chose to live in, Sievert Close and Carlton Colville in Lowestoft, um, most people were working on Sizewell B. So they were incomers like me. We had Maureen and Fred from Morecambe and Linda and Stan from Hartlepool and Mick Needham and Sue opposite Mick was from Yorkshire. And so it went on, a Scottish couple next door, a couple from Lancashire on the other side of me. So that's how we built community in a way, was from outsiders like myself um, initially. 
And uh, I came to work for Suffolk Education here. Uh, had a terrible car accident in 1990. I was five or six months pregnant with Sophie, my youngest daughter. Luckily, didn't lose her. And um, uh, she was born that year, 1990, uh, in October, October the 27th. That was my family complete, three children. Sophie born fine and then three weeks old, got bronchiolitis. Didn't sound that serious, but we ended up in hospital in isolation. And um, she ended up dying, literally gone, respiratory arrest. Uh, she was absolutely black from head to toe about six times before they got her from children's ward onto special care baby unit where she should have always been really. Um, and she was on life support for a time, touch and go, nobody's eyes could meet mine. And I thought I'm gonna leave this hospital still bleeding from birth with breasts full of milk and without a child. It was very, very hard. Oh, I still feel emotional when I think about it. Oh, my goodness. Um, uh, anyway, she survived. They didn't think that she would. They thought that she would be brain damaged if she did survive. But she was fab. Uh, oh, I've gone. You'll have to talk, Ian. Oh, Kath. Well, Kath, you know, I mean, you, you have some wonderful friends here in the studio. And uh, I think we all know you for for just being such a genuinely warm person. And, you know, whether it's from Whitehaven to the White Sands of Lowestoft, you know, you've built a tribe wherever you've gone and, and I'm glad to be one of it. Now, around this time, did, is, is this the time when you met Ethne? Because it'd be lovely to hear from, from Ethne and, and maybe Ethne, you've got something to share with Kath about those days, those heady days in education. Because this wonderful woman, she, I, I just, uh, I just don't, I'm just in awe of how you, you do juggle your family, Kath. And, and so many people, and and yet you seem to have time and and for an energy for everybody. It's quite amazing. So, Ethne, welcome, Ethne. Hello, thank you. Um, well, uh, yeah, I met uh, Kath in a very public uh, forum, I suppose, for the first time. Kath was working in uh, Norfolk, and I was working in Suffolk, and we were both. Uh, doing essentially the same job, which um, had been newly created. And I think um, the things that bound us together um, straight away uh, were our instincts for um, not tolerating injustice and also that kind of rebel. So the job that we were both doing, um, Kathy Norfolk, me in Suffolk, was really to um, create some sort of voice and advocacy for parents of children with special needs. And uh, so that's, if you like, the rebel, because education can be uh, very constricting in some respects. I mean, it's there, isn't it, to liberate people, but sometimes the systems don't always do that. What do you remember, Ethne, um, um, about Kath as a rebel in those days? Well, the, uh, the, the thing was that bound us together was that we both had um, a strong voice that we would use. And in this public forum, there was a very shameful event, which in a, in a way uh, isn't, uh, you know, it's, it's not something to kind of, I suppose, go into in detail. But what it meant was that, um, essentially, uh, Kath was being disrespected uh, quite dreadfully in a very public way. 
And uh, I felt immediately that I had to go and offer some support. And that is the first moment that I met Kath. Um, so we were both there in this public forum and she had been very dreadfully disrespected uh, and I couldn't stand the injustice. And so together we were bound by our instinct to be rebels. Well done. And so do you have a, like a question for Kath about anything around that time or something you'd like to ask her now live on air? Uh, <laughs> the opportunity. Well, I know, I know that Kath always remembers this as I do, really. But I suppose um, one of the things uh, I would uh, perhaps wish to ask her is, um, you know, at that, you know, at that event, had this situation never arisen um you know i wonder really how you think that the transpiring years might have progressed or or turned out because it was momentous for both you and for i uh, mm. and i just wonder if you've got any thoughts about it kath looking back I just think that when you go through your life, everything's meant to happen in a particular way. You're given choice points at every different point of your life. And you can either be silenced or you can come out with a roar. And both you and I came out with a roar. And it was an incredibly bonding experience, was it not? You know, that we've, we've never forgotten that um, immediate bond that we had through an injustice. And you and I and your boss, Mike, who was an absolute hero, um, we fought that injustice, absolute hero. I had, I had a bit more of a shyster of a boss, as you'll recall very well. But we created an incredible camaraderie between the six counties of the East. And we, uh, you know, we didn't do competitive things. We were incredibly collaborative and worked so brilliantly as a team so that we shared our resources amongst those six counties. And we, we, it was, we actually created models of excellence in all of our counties. And the things that we created then have outlived us in a way, outlived our time in those roles. So I think from um, a difficult beginning in that public forum, you and I created a friendship. I always call you my you'll never walk alone friend. Um, you know that. I've shared that with you many, many, many times of, you know, we've had each other's back throughout our lives, really, if ever we've needed. If there's been injustice, we've been right there for each other throughout it all. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd say that's, uh, yeah, that's very true, that we were bound together um, from that very moment. And I think since then, we have both looked out for each other. And I guess that's what friendship is all about. It is. And those strong shared values that we have for, you know, the welfare of children, for um, helping and supporting parents, um, for a you know, strong sense of social justice. Uh, shared values bond you. And I think, I guess everybody that's here, we share a lot of values here. And, um, and that is an incredibly bonding thing. And from there, from that platform of strong foundations, many things can be built and many things can be changed. Yeah, that's true. Wonderful. This sort of time then, Kathy, wasn't long after this then you started to really get into the uh, into helping others massively through the work of NLP and and actually teaching. And indeed, it was from this, as I understand, or from these kind of situations that you decided to set up your own company. 
in the 90s. Isn't that correct? That's right. Absolutely. I had worked for Suffolk Education, then Norfolk Education. But there was a period of four years after Sophie came out of hospital that I had three years, just over three years, that I didn't work. But in 93, I was blessed to be appointed to the SEN and Disability Tribunal by the Secretary of State for Education, one of only 69 members for England and Wales. So that gave me a platform, if you like, of um, regular tribunals. I was appointed to the Tribunal Training Committee by Trevor Aldridge QC and trained lots of the barristers and lawyers and specialist members as well. And so when that boss, when you're used to good bosses, a bad boss comes difficult. We all want to respect our bosses. And in Norfolk Education, I had zero respect for the boss that I had, unlike Ethne's boss, who was a very decent guy. And so in um, 95, uh, in August, I gave in my notice and left. And in September, I set up the Lifelong Learning Company because I am one of those people I've learned all of my life. And actually, every single person on here is one of those people too, lifelong learners developing and growing themselves. So I set that business up in 95, but with some work coming in from the tribunal, not full-time work, um, but it gave me um, um, a little bit of uh, of, uh, risk-free time in setting up that business. And from there... um, I did. I um, one of my old bosses at Suffolk Education, who I love dearly, a pivotal role he played in my life, um, encouraged me to do psychology. And I ended up running a business, having three kids. I used to get up at four o'clock in the morning um, and work through till six o'clock when the children would get up. And I did a psychology, so I reinvented myself at that point. Um, and I did a degree course, got a first class honours um, in psychology, then did a master's in psychology with distinction. I was very proud of that because it it was just about application and discipline um, and being able to wrap it around a family life, really. Um, And in 99, I discovered NLP. Um, I don't believe in chance. There was a a chap from Norfolk Education, Charles Walker, flirting outrageously with me, telling me he was an NLP master. And I said, I can tell you're trying to impress me, Charles, but I have no clue what an NLP master is. And uh, the next day, I'm in London at a conference on mental health. I've been running a mental health group as one of the contracts um, that I had when I was running my own business, running a mental health group here in Lowestoft. And it was a conference about depression and three people behind me were talking about NLP. I don't believe in coincidences. So I reckon I was meant to investigate this. And I rang Paul McKenna's office, talked to Shelley, his then manager, uh, love Shelley. And, um, and she said, you sound fab. She goes, I bet Paul will like you and he'll ask you to be part of the team. Um, so I ended up going to London, a learning NLP. I did get asked to be part of the team. And I worked, um, very honoured to work with Paul McKenna, who's been a great teacher of mine, Dr. Richard Bandler, another incredible teacher of mine, and John Laval, another incredible teacher of mine. And it was there I met the Pope. Linda Pope. (laughs) She was part of that team too. Um, And I think I met Linda around 99, uh, the year 2000. And um, we've been buddies ever since. Let's hear from Linda straight away on that. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, In fact, I was uh, thinking about um, the way this is unfolding. And I thought, yes, I feel like I fit in the NLP years uh, and one of my questions will be about our meeting, I think. Um, it, it was an interesting one. It was 2000. I was doing my NLP Masters. Um, I think you were already on the training team then, but I, I, I have a feeling you were a delegate on that course. Um, but uh, we were thrown together 
uh, for want of a better phrase, in an exercise, uh, which I'm sure you'll remember. So I think um, the way I got to know Kath was uh, I made quite an impression on her, I think, and that is literally because I smacked her in the forehead. <laughs> we were desperately trying uh, to complete an exercise uh, and it just wasn't working and I think you know you have one of those little insights and I thought well this needs physical contact um and Spot uh, on. I needed to be embodied I got smacked yes. Um, so yes, I, I wasn't violent. I promise. I just uh, gently uh, <laughs> pushed it into her forehead. So I think that was the first impression. Um, and uh, then we had a few meetings following that. I became also a member of the training team, um, and uh, uh, and so it's grown. And I've been friends with Kath throughout her sort of. Uh, growth journey if you like with NLP to some extent I was there uh, on many uh, the adventures we've had on some of these courses uh, couldn't be repeated here (laughs) (laughs) but um, uh, and I was there for the first NLP training that Kath ever ran Um, and that was also great fun a huge huge great fun experience such Um, fun such uh, fun yeah yeah, too many stories, really. So I guess my question to you really is back to that. Um, what on earth did you think in that, those first moments <laughs> with a strange woman that you were working with? <laughs> I, I thought you were, I knew we were different, but again, yeah. shared values. I loved that um, you had such, you had great clarity. You've always had great clarity, Linda. And um, you, you have a wonderful way of explaining difficult concepts. And I really admired um, and respected your mind as I do ethnic. I do everybody's here, actually. Um, a, a wonderful mind um, that makes me think. And I, I love it when people stimulate me, when, when I'm made to expand, if you like, and, and think about things a little differently. So I love that about you. And then we, by chance, met again in Glastonbury with our yeah. lovely Jeff Merrigan. I love Jeff Merrigan, who was also part of our training, running a Reiki Masters training at the, um, the Chalicewell gardens right at the foot of the tour it was the first time i'd ever visited glastonbury so we did reiki masters together yeah, we did. and left that was a bonding experience for us yeah. as well howled and laughed on that course for the right reasons yeah. and, um, uh, and, and so that that was it for you know friendship born and yeah. um, I'm a very loyal person as you know friends for life um generally it, yeah and and also I I really remember the first time coming to your home in Suffolk uh, we were working together on a project for the company that I was working for at the time um, and I just remember coming in and, and it felt like coming home. So I've always felt very much a part of the family. And, and that's always, you know, uh, been a blessing for me. Mm. And my mum lived with us until she died, as you know. My mother loved you. She loved Ethne yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, guys, I'm going to have to jump in a little bit here because we've got a lot of questions coming in. Lynn, thank you very much for, the, for that. Um, You're welcome. We've got, um, David and Jackie in the studio who would like to ask you a question, Kath. Hello, Jackie and David. Oh, they're all quiet on the Western no, front. Oh, we were struggling <laughs> to find the unmute button. Uh, <laughs> hello, Kath, how are you? I'm good, I'm good, our David. 
Excellent. No, we've got we've got a very deep and meaningful question for you. <laughs> going to ask it. Hi, Kath. Loving the show. Oh, um, good. I'm somebody who's happiest mucking about in a pair of wellies, wallowing in the mud, and I just <laughs> love your happiness foundation and the joy that you bring. So I'm just wondering what item of clothing gives you the most happiness. Item of clothing? Oh, there's an interesting one. Um, oh, I love a good bra these days, I can tell you. A bra, a good one that is like scaffolding. So I need, I need a good bra to hold my bits in place these days. So I like, I like a nice bra. <laughs> a, bit, a bit sexy that only you know you've got on. <laughs> a good bra. But, but do you know, Jackie, my Auntie Teresa lived on a farm. So for all, most of our lives... Most weekends were spent at Auntie Teresa's farm. It wasn't her farm. She was just a, a tenant in the farmhouse because Toddy, the farmer, had built what we called the new house, um, which was in the field, uh, a couple of fields up. Um, so we had the farmhouse, but right in the middle of the farm. Blooming loved it. Oh. Loved it. Loved being on the farm. Lovely. Well, come and visit us. <laughs> I would love to come across to Wales and pay a visit. It sounds fabulous. Brilliant. Look forward to meeting you. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your show. Thanks Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I'm going to ask Sabrina to step in now because it'd be lovely to hear from Sabrina and if you've got something that you'd like to share with Kath. Unmute yourself, our Sabrina. Yes, I've just done so. So I was also struggling to find the unmute button. <laughs> so I've got no questions for Kath. Um, but I would like to share a few things about Kath, if I may. Yes, please. Um, and that is, uh, I've got a few words um, to describe Kath. I was just noting them down as uh, the other lady was speaking. And that is, I find Kath to be an incredibly loving, caring, cheerful, honest, confident, courageous, loyal and enthusiastic, beautiful lady who always finds time for everyone, or at least I can speak for myself, notwithstanding how busy she always is, which for me means that she deeply cares about people. I met Kath um, as a student initially. Um, I did her NLP courses and thereafter we would become very good friends. I have gone through some difficult times in my personal life, as we all do. And Kath has always been just a text or a call away. She's incredibly reliable. I can always, always count on her. And she's always offered either words of wisdom, soothing messages to get me back in alignment, or she has sometimes tailor-made some meditations for me. Um, and she's always been very, very reassuring, helping me get back on track and to be the best version of myself so that I can then give the best of me to others, particularly my one-year-old child to whom I'm a, a sole parent. So, Kath, I'm incredibly grateful to have you in my life, and I thank you. Love you, Sabrina, and I love I your love son, you. beautiful, beautiful James. He's absolutely adorable. Thank, thank you. Thank you. We've also now got um, some studio questions, I think, to hear from um, Juliet and, and Giles. I think we Hi, Kath. Have. Juliet here. Um, you're so giving and warm with your praise of people and uh, you have a very open heart from what I've experienced of you so far. Uh, what inspires you to, um, to be so warm and giving to others? 
I think it's just having strong values, I think, and being in living in alignment with those values, walking those values into the world, I think is really important because otherwise we're out of alignment ourselves. So um, love is one of my core values, um, peace, freedom, um, justice, fairness, all those sorts of values. And I think, you know, we can, Einstein said, we can look at the world as if everything's a miracle or as if nothing is. And actually the world is a miraculous place. Most people are good people, I find, just like we are. They're good people. You have to sometimes look in, uh, reach in and look for the soul behind those eyes um, uh, and speak to that. But there is always goodness, some goodness in everybody that you meet. So I think my background, my family, my in my family, I was taught how to love. I, so I, I watched love being walked into the world on a daily basis. And um, I, I would like to think that I've continued that. Generous hearted, I think, when we connect with others and where we share what we see and what we hear and what we feel. Sometimes we can stay silent, but what's the point of that? What's the point of that if you have something good to say to someone that's very genuine? Absolutely. Well, let's hear from Giles next, and, and then let's bring in Ola. Uh, Ola. Ola. Oh, beautiful Ola. I love her. Kathy's Giles here. We live just down the road from you in Clare. When you come in round for a lovely vegan dinner, we can have a lovely <laughs> chat and sing some songs. G Giles and Juliet, for some reason I thought you were in South Africa. What's that about? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that you were so close. I would love to come around for dinner. Bloody Boris has some uh, changing to do before that's allowed, isn't it? But, you know, can all be rebels too. Darlings, I'm right there. Well, let's, let's bring in Ola, Kath. Love to hear from Ola. I love Ola. I, I've known Ola and Ola has had two sisters. There was three beautiful, beautiful children came to my children's school. Um, Ola, the oldest, who's the same age as my eldest daughter, Lucy. Temi Lola, uh, the middle child, who was the same age as my middle child, Katie. And then there was beautiful Basola, who was younger than my Sophie. And um, I, I, you could see their spirits burning so brightly behind their eyes. I thought they were extraordinary children. And they were fostered by an extraordinary woman, by Doreen. And under normal circumstances, if it had gone through the normal kind of channels, Doreen might not have been allowed to foster them because she was older. But, oh, my God, she was a force to be reckoned with. I loved her, too. Um, and I met her. Um, at a mother and toddler group. Um, so I, I did know of her before. Um, and she was a loving, kind, supportive, values-driven woman. And, and she had uh, taken on these three beautiful children, two of whom were in St. Mary's School on the cliff in Lowestoft here at Britain's most easterly point. And Ola, was there was a fierceness and fabulousness about her from the start. And her and Temi would come around to play sometimes after school. And Temi had sickle cell anemia. And I remember, and it was painful at times. And I remember Ola as a tiny little girl, a tiny little girl, this fearsome uh, intelligence intelligence, this fearsome, fabulous presence saying, when I grow up, I'm going to be a doctor and I'm going to make you better, Temi. 
I mean, how, and I thought this is where vocation comes from, sometimes from hardship, sometimes from difficulty. And so I'm not going to say any more about that, but let's, let's say hello to our beautiful Ola, who is a soul daughter, uh, as is her sister Temi, and Bosola still lives in my heart. Maybe to Ola, you'll tell your story. Yeah, Ola, let's hear from you. Hi. Um, so um, it's, in, it's so interesting how there are themes that go through all of our lives and people um, that go through all of our lives. And I'll probably be explaining a bit more what I mean. But um, myself and um, Kath actually came into contact in, in, in a weird way because I was a snitch. <laughs> so um, we um, kind of being a black person in lower stuff and being the only black kid in school was really weird and it kind of caused a lot of confusion and um, I started getting bullied in school so um, you know my foster mom asked me to name the bullies <laughs> and you know most tough kids would have never said the names but I did and I said, one of the people that was being nasty to me was Lucy Temple. So my foster mom, being the kind of person that she was, um, you know, had a chat with some of the parents, but also approached Kath and said, you know, what can we do about this? And Kath said, oh, just come round for dinner and I'll explain to um, Lucy and Katie. So um, we went round for dinner and, you know, you know, explained you can't be horrible to black people. Um, and, um, you know, the bullying started again the next day, but they didn't realize that um, Lucy had changed camps. So Lucy became like my PR manager, communications director, <laughs> and, and my reputation management service. So I didn't even have to say anything because Katie would be right in front of me saying, Mom said you can't be horrible to black people, so you can't be horrible to honor. And I think Lucy, as she completely defended me in front of everybody and explained, um, you know, what had been said over lunch. Um, so I went from being like the odd kid to um, actually one of being one of the popular kids at St. Mary's because I always had Lucy by my side explaining and defending. And, you know, we became, we, we actually became really, me and Lucy actually became really good friends. Um, even when I was in boarding school in Nigeria, we used to write to each other, you know, physical letters that used to take two weeks to get into it. Um, but even post um primary school my, my foster mom for instance didn't um go to university neither did um my foster dad um and they had always worked well, well my foster mom never worked um but my foster dad did but um in terms of role modeling Kath was like this young beautiful blonde lady that owned her own business that drove a sports car and obviously I'd never had that exposure before and that you know kind of made me a lot more career orientated than perhaps um, you know, I would have been. And when I was applying to university, for instance, Kath was the first person I contacted and said, you know, I'm writing my personal statement for med medical school. Can you help? And again, there Kath was reaching out to her contacts, making sure that my personal statement um, got edited. Um, so I eventually got into medical school with Kath's help. Um, and then when I was starting my business, I now run one of the largest healthcare companies, um, healthcare investment um, companies in Africa. And again, the very first person I reached out to was Kath, and I'm starting a business. Um, you know, what can I do? And she was like, you know, I'll be one of your official advisors. And again, she came on the board and made introductions for me, um, introduced me. So this has been my journey from five years old 
uh, to my early thirties. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to jump in because there's, there's, there's I, no I was just rounding up why Kathy's been, you know, instrumental in all of those transitions. Lovely to hear. If you had just one thing to say to Kath then live on air, what would you like to say to her? Um, I'd, li- I'd like to say a, a big thank you um, for being a friend, for um, for being a supporter, for being a cheerleader um, all these years, and I look I look forward to many more. Wonderful. Um, Thank you. I'm incredibly proud of you, Ola. Incredibly proud of you. And again, the hardship of losing your sister spurred you on with a bigger vision. And there you were setting up West Africa's Nigeria's first flying doctor air ambulance service. And you've grown again since then. You have done so much and um, still connected on the board there. Um, But we've set up many, many companies. You are incredible. A world change agent, darling. Wonderful, Kath. Well, I mean, this is just so delightful. So many people wanting to say things. So in the studio, we've next got a question from Joe, I think, to ask to ask you. If Our not, darling Kath, <laughs> thank you so much for all the love you give. Thank you for often, not often, always catapulting me into a higher state of happiness. Thank you for that, Kath. I really appreciate it so much. And my question to you is, because I should say that I'm a little bit in denial about the fact that you are only human. I mean, is it, is it possible? <laughs> but my question to you is, Kev, um, and it's based on the fact that you are so consistent in uh, you know, your choice of spirit and words to often just bring us up and bring us higher, uh, a leader in, 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 in that. Is that something you've chosen at a young age or at what point did you decide to consistently do that and, and, and just be in that higher space? That's the first part of the question. The second part of the question is you are human and what is your downside? What happens when, when, when that drops? Thank you, Kath, love you to bits. Love you too, our Joe, our lovely Joe, whose conversations I enjoy between the records on the show. I, I, I always felt like I walked with sunshine, like there was a light um, in me. I always felt that there was light. I always felt very connected to God, um, to spirit, universe, whatever you want to call, whatever your name for that is. I always felt very connected to that. Um, and... Yeah, I think it's deliberate choices. You know, Pythagoras's choices are the hinge points of destiny. I agree that we make deliberate choices, conscious choices, um, to to bring some good into the world, to make our lives count, to make our words count, to make our actions count. So, some deliberate choices there. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a softy. Yeah, I'm a real softy. So, <laughs> when when the sun shines down, you know, the, the waterfalls can come, as I did when I remembered Sophie's journey. I lost my son-in-law this year, our lovely Ed, only 35. So, you know, there's I have known great sadness as well as joy and love in my life. I've known a lot of sadness. But you have to get up from these things and do something good with it to transmute and transform the negative energy, just as Ola has done, just as Sabrina has done, just as Linda Pope has done, just as Ethany Lemming has done, just as you've done, Ariane as well, um, uh, Hugh um, and Django and Joe, just as we've all done. We've all had hardship in our lives and difficulties, but we don't have to stay there. We don't have to stay there. 
Well, look, I mean, I'm really mindful of our time, Kath. Uh, you know, it's a shame that we, we don't have a little bit more here. Um, so maybe the, the, the questions that you've got from some of the guys you can answer personally. How about that? Mm. I think that would be a nice mm. way. Then you can sure. actually give a, a rich answer to them. So, you know, it's been a delight to have you on here. You, you had a quote, which I, is, a, is a wonderful quote, and then we, we've, we can play out with your song. I think that's, that's what we're going to have to do. That's the choice we have to make because it's been such a joy having you in, in the presenter hot seat, Kath. You're such an awesome person. What was your quote? Mike, I love, I love poetry. I love reading. I love writing. Um, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, to know that one life has breathed easier because you have lived, that is to have succeeded. And if that is my definition of success as well, it's nothing to do with wealth, nothing to do with money, success. It's to do with making a difference. It's to do with making your life count. And my deep desire is that I've made my life count and that I have made a difference to many, many lives along that life's journey. I think you have done that. And I think also love is something I would wrap around you. So it's appropriate that your final song is... Let Your Love Flow by the Bellamy Brothers. Love is an action. It isn't just a feeling. Walk love as a daily action into your lives. If you're in doubt, ask yourself, what would love say now and what would love do now? Here's the Bellamy Brothers. Let Your Love Flow. It's love. 